Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. title the message, Stuff Never Satisfies. It never does. It never satisfies. Have you come to realize that? Things do not satisfy. Hopefully you got a handle on that when you're a young kid. You waited and waited and waited for whatever it was, right? A new this or that, a toy of some sort. And you get it, and you play with it, and it's yours. And then in a short order, you're bored with it, out of your mind. Why did I spend the money? Why did I give all that time and attention? And stuff never satisfies. Never. Bigger, better, best. Never. It doesn't. God gives the, the blessings and grace in life, but the, we, God has made us with hearts that will never be satisfied with things. Ever. Ever. Get a firm handle on that. Most people live in the rat race. They're always running after to acquire more and more and more, just thinking a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger boat, a bigger bank, a bigger, 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 bigger. Things not bad in and of themselves, but if that's the goal, you've missed it. You have missed it. And I know that believers can get off the path and attracted to these kind of things. Stuff never satisfies. And that's what Solomon is dealing with here in our text today as he quickly makes his way through this, this uh, chapter. This is really a sermon. And, uh, and as he moves towards the refrain, this is the second refrain, that chorus. Remember this reoccurring theme that happens four times throughout this, which is really a, a sermon, and verses 18 through 20 again. We're going to look at that. Well, try as we may, the things we buy with our hard-earned money will never deeply satisfy our hearts. They never will. They won't. They won't. It's like putting a square puzzle piece into a round hole. It won't fit. It won't cry. Try Try as we may. We may end up crying. It will not fit. And yet we live with the illusion. If I only had this, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. Don't we, we? We believe that. We try that. We strive for that. Well, we shouldn't. Don't you be deluded in your thinking. Stuff never satisfies. Jesus told us plainly, and that should have been enough for us. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things. There's so much more than that. That's just stuff. I love Franny Schaefer's sermon, Ash Heap Lives. Maybe you saw that. It's in the book entitled No Little People, No Little Places. It's a collection of his sermons. And one of those sermons is Ash Heap Lives. Growing up in Germantown, Pennsylvania, he said, I would occasionally go over to the dump. Now, we don't call it the dump anymore, do we? We're more sophisticated than that. We call it what? The landfill. <laughs> As if we're creating more land or something. I, you know. <laughs> But down to the dump he would go, and he would see the things there for which people traded their lives. 
There were cars, there were lousy ones, there were nice ones, rusting away. No one will ever drive them again. Refrigerators and washers and all the stuff, everything that ends at the dump. And, he's, and, he, and that's the lesson you see. Don't give yourself to the things that will never satisfy and ultimately end up in the dump. Don't do it. For a man's life, a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of things. Yet we all have a tendency to clutter up our lives. We do. We're like the little ant. You ever notice how much an ant can carry on its back? I used to, with a magnifying glass, used to zap them. But a cave, and if they got a big load on their back, I mean, it's much larger than their own weight. They're carrying along this huge crumb from your picnic to get it into the hole, to have it in January when those wonderful days come, right? That's like us. We have that tendency to gather and get more and more and more, and I'm finally going to be happy. Well, if that would be the case, and the wealthiest people would be laughing all the time. Have you noticed that's not the case? I've had occasion to know a number of folks that were really well off in worldly goods. I've got to tell you that most of them were some of the most unhappy people I ever met. Really. Now, you can be utterly poor and have your heart filled with covetousness and idolatry. So we're not talking that having them or not having them. It's a heart issue. Both can be guilty of that. But don't live with the illusion, if I just get one more rung up, or if I just get more and more of this or that, then I'll be deeply satisfied. I'm sorry, it won't happen. It will not happen. Solomon writing, now as an old man, this book or this sermon as he gives it to the assembly, he gives us the wisdom of all his years as he writes. He's told... uh, He's told us that God has a, a plan. It includes all people in all places at all times. It's a beautiful story. Some of you like to read novels. I've read most of John Grisham's novels. He's a great storyteller. I'm telling you, God's story is so much greater than that. That's the story that God has uh, woven together and written from beginning to end. And you and I can't know it. We're often perplexed, but then we, we really are quite easily perplexed, aren't we? We want God to tell us what he's doing in this great, all-encompassing story when most of us here can't even program our VCRs or whatever it is we use now. We're like, I can't even figure that out. How can I even figure out what God's up to? And that's the way it is in God's great story. It's marvelous. It's a beautiful story. Now uh, he tells us that as Solomon that uh, life is more than things. God gives us things. He gives us uh, the blessings of life, the gifts of life, but they can only be enjoyed as God gives us the ability to do that. Do you know that? God not only blesses us with the breath of life and then food and clothing and shelter and everything else, And yet you can have all that stuff, as we've said, and not have the joy of the Lord and the pleasure of life that God wants because those things are also a gift. We'll see that in the text. That God gives the gift of pleasure and the enjoyment, the ability to enjoy his gifts as we love the gift giver. Well, there are in this chapter two lessons that instruct us 
that the enjoyment of life comes from God and not from things. It's a lesson that we need to hear over and over and over and over again because we are bombarded by commercials and advertisement, Madison Avenue, all over the place that just get this, just try that, a little bit here, a little squeeze there, a little bit of dabble, do you, and you'll be happy forever. And I'm telling you, it's a mirage. It's a charade. It's fake. It's false. It is. It is. And Solomon, I remind you, uh, is giving us word, and he's a man who had everything. Most of us aren't in his position in life. He's a man who had enough time, he had all the wealth, and he had everything a man could ever want. And he's giving us now, at the end of his life, as an aged sage, the wisdom of this word as God directs him, and as he writes even Scripture. Well, let's, let's look at the passage in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, and let's read the passage so we get the overview. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. Better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. and Do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy, that's the key here, and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. If you see the poor oppressed in the district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official, that's a government official, is eyed by a higher one, and over them both of others are others uh, higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all, and the king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, those do, uh, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness and with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then, Solomon writes, then I realized that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him. For this is his lot. 
Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Well, there are two lessons in this uh, very well-known passage of Scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes. Two lessons instructing us that the enjoyment of life uh, comes from God, uh, God alone, and not from things ever, ever, ever. The first uh, lesson is this. If you make stuff the focus of your life, it will greatly disappoint. It will greatly disappoint. Let me hasten, look at the end of the section. He ends in verse 17, this section, and talking about the misery and the frustration, the affliction and the anger, that if you make things your goal in life, your focus, this is how it ends up. All his days he eats in darkness. That's miserable, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Well, God did not make you to be deeply satisfied with passing wealth and the things that it can buy. For your desires will always outrun your possession, and it will be an insatiable appetite for more and more and more and more. It's like, it's like we say at deer season, right? If you want deer around, put a salt lick out. Because the deer will come there and be licking away, and they'll never be quenched of their appetite. Of their, of their thirst, and they'll hang around there and you may be able to get a good shot off. But it's like that. It's like that. Your desire will always outrun your possession. It will never satisfy. You'll never say, that's enough. I can't. That's it. Never. Because your heart was not made that way. Well, he's going to give us four. A, notice A, B, C, and D. He's going to talk about... Uh, uh, the fruit of our labor and the things that God gives to us. But if we make that the focus of our life, notice what could happen. And that's why he says it's vain, it's futile, it's, uh, it's empty. Don't give yourself to these things. It will ultimately and finally greatly disappoint you. In verses 1 to 7, first of all, he's saying, uh, your hard-earned wealth may be lost to God through a rash vow. That's a difficult section to try and understand how it flowed into the greater section of, uh, of Solomon's uh, reasoning here. But it's simply this, that uh, as God blesses and gives you wealth and the fruit of your labors, be careful, be careful that you fear God and revere him and honor him and serve him. And not rebel, not speak wrongly, not, uh, not uh, live in disobedience. For the bottom line is, God could take it all away. He could blow just a, an eastern wind, and there it goes. It's gone. That's what he's saying here. For this section, uh, number one, is, is not primarily, that's the thought, about worship. It's not primarily about prayers and vows. Rather, Solomon is warning us against the folly of rash vows which could cause the loss of wealth and stuff. That's what he's saying to us. He's saying that uh, be careful. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God, when you gather in with God's people to hear God's word. Go there with a guarded heart 
not to speak the words of a fool, just running at the mouth, to make an impression, uh, to promise God all sorts of things, but I have no thought of fulfilling it. Uh, God hears what we say, and be careful about that. Or God just may spank you or discipline you, the effect that he may take away everything he's given you. There's a great example of this in Deuteronomy 28. Look at that, at this section. The people of Israel now in the promised land have just made a great vow to God that they would hear his word and obey it. And God hears their words, and he promises them blessing for their obedience. And he begins that in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, in verses 1 to 14, talks about how God will bless and honor and increase and, and all that when their hearts are right. But if they speak like a fool, the sacrifice of a fool, and don't follow through with what they say, God just may take it all away. And uh, that's what the rest of the whole chapter is about. God is warning, beginning in verse 15 and following, uh, just that. Look at verse 15. He says, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country, and your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. It goes on and on and on to talk. Be careful with what you say. Be careful with what you do. As you go to God's assembly, for he sees and he hears, and God may just put holes in your purses and in your wallets, and it may just all blow away. That's what Solomon is saying to us here. Um, Just a few more verses here so you get the gist of it. Look at verses 45 through 48. You see all these things, all these curses will come upon you, uh, God is saying through Moses to the children of Israel there, as they have promised God with the works, words that they would honor him and serve him all their life. These curses will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the, in the time of prosperity. Therefore, hunger and thirst and nakedness and poverty, will, you, will serve, you will serve your enemies. And one, one other verse, look at 63. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and to increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and to destroy you, to uproot you from the land that you are possessing. Well, just, uh, just uh, uh, an inkling there in, in, in Deuteronomy 28, to further elucidation as to what he's saying here, that God is the active agent uh, that uh, responds uh, to us when we We are not the people of God that we ought to be when we say things and violate them. So, number two, he warns against uttering hasty and ill-considered vows to the Lord. The basis of this is Deuteronomy 23. We have that up on the board here, Deuteronomy 23. Just to remind you that if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow in paying it. The Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. 
Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God within, with your own mouth. In other words, he's saying, you don't have to vow. You don't have to make a sacred promise to God. You do not have to. When you come together in the assembly, when you gather with God's people, be careful, be slow to speak, quick to hear. Just don't be flippant or fast with your mouth to speak things that you shouldn't speak, particularly to vow to God, for he hears it and he takes it seriously. And if you violate that, that might anger the Lord in, in his dealing with you and with me. You see, a vow is voluntary, yet it's binding. That's the point of that passage. Number three, he, he further warns that a person's mouth can lead them or lead us into sin. And this results in God's displeasure, verse 4, and his anger in verse 6. God may destroy the wealth of such a one. You see, God must be feared. That's what he's saying as he closes, verses 6 and 7. Do not, make, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And then verse 7, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe or reverence of God. He is to be feared. He is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, he is way up there and he is great and immortal, all-seeing, almighty, glorious God, and we are minions. We are dust with breath in our lungs. That's all that we are. Be careful. Be careful what you utter before the Lord our God. There was an illustration, I've referred to it many, many times, in Acts uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. They're at the beginning of the church in Jerusalem, Ananias and Sapphira. They had made a promise to the Lord that uh, they would sell a certain piece of land and, and that they would give all of the proceeds of it to, uh, to, the, to the church that they might distribute to those that were there in need. People were hungry. The, the Pentecost had happened, the beginning of the church, and they had stayed over for many, many weeks as a number of them got saved. They're from all over the known world. And as they stayed, their money ran out, and uh, they needed the support and care of God's people. And you see, uh, Ananias and Sapphira sold the property. They didn't have to say, we'll give it all. They could have said, I'm going to give half of it, Lord. And that would have been a generous thing. But they wanted to be esteemed. They wanted to be thought well of by the local body. And so they went through the pretender, the charade, that here it is. We're giving this great, oh, aren't we giving a great sacrifice? And you can read the account in, in that uh, passage in Acts 5, 1 to 11. God struck the one down and then struck the other down to show his incredible great displeasure when you and I speak and, uh, and then don't follow through. It just may all disappear as God may take it away. Uh, wow, don't sin with your mouth, the point. We should come, all of us, come to church with a readiness to listen to God's Word and be guarded with what we say and what we promise. That's his point. Well, there's a second thing. If you make stuff the focus of your life, it will greatly disappoint. God may take it away. B, uh, the government may. Your hard-earned money may be lost to a corrupt government, to gov governmental officials, maybe through extortion or arm-twisting or stealing outright. That's what he's saying in verses 8 and 9. You see the poor oppressed in a district, injustice and rights denied. Those are government things. Don't be surprised at such things, for one government official 
I'd buy a higher one, and over them both others, both are both are others higher still, and the increase from the land is taken by both, even the king, the top dog in a monarchy situation, uh, himself profits from the poor people's fields and all the way up. Um, I mean, if you make your, and this is an agrarian day, and they're in the field, and wealth was measured in livestock and in grain and in these kind of things for most people, that uh, if you make uh, stuff the focus of your life, not only may God produce, if you speak and sin, God, it may all disappear through God directly, or it may happen through the government. Extortion. Um, it, uh, how about even inflation? As our government spends more than they have coming in, uh, they print more money, it, it causes a debasing to occur, and inflation results. And we, we don't have the buying power that we once had. And uh, that's a way in which uh, uh, there's a, a robbing of the people of the actual buying power of government. Uh, these verses point to a hierarchy of corruption in government. Officials strip the worker of the fruit of his labor. And if he gave his heart and his soul and his whole life toward, uh, for that fruit, it's all lost. And it's all for naught. Gone. Gone forever by a corrupt government. Well, I'm glad that we live in the United States. It's not perfect. I think it's the best form of government in a fallen world that checks and balances where the power is spread out. And we appreciate that. Even, even with that, there's corruption. We know that. Uh, but uh, in some places around the world, it's rampant. It's rampant. Uh, what, what is yours is now ours. It belongs to the state. That's communism. You know, when everything's the state and there's no such thing as private uh, uh, enterprise or private business or private uh, what have you. Uh, what, uh, what is yours, your fields are now ours. That's called stealing. It's stealing. And now there's an oligarchy at the top, a group of, uh, uh, a committee of leaders that now will redistribute it. And often much of it goes to them. And we've seen all sorts of things, from that to uh, despots that are wicked and rip off people. Oftentimes, uh, food that goes to help the needy can't even be distributed because of corrupt governments around the world. There's some great uh, enterprises that, uh, that care for and raise money and send all sorts of grain. And you can read about it now with a high cost of food. And, uh, and yet a lot of that grain gets grabbed up by certain people and then sold later for profit, for their profit. And the government's often involved with that kind of a thing. The government, don't be surprised. They come in and take it. We saw it even in the Third Reich. You own that home, all Jews out. You don't own it anymore. It's ours. Well, it's our families. It's been ours for years. It's not anymore. It's ours. It's not yours. You're out you're going to death camp. That was government, corrupt, evil, extorting. Not just the Third Reich and others, but it's human history. It's a trail of blood and corruption from the beginning, and we have seen it. It shouldn't surprise us, because Samuel, the great prophet, had warned Israel uh, of the evils of kingship. Remember, they wanted a king. We want a king. They're like a bunch of babies. It was a theocratic kingdom. God was their king. 
And there the, the son was, we want a king like everyone else is a king. Can't we have a trophy king? Can't we? Can't we? Oh, please. Uh, what's that? Third graders. You know, we want a king. And he warns them in the passage. And I think we have it up here. Do we not have it, Jenny? In First Samuel, here, here it is. I think. There, 1 Samuel 8. He's going to warn. And Samuel told all the words of the lords of the people who are asking him for a king. And he said, this is what the king will, who will reign over you will do. He'll take your sons and he'll make them serve in his chariots and, and, and horses. And they'll run in front of his chariots. And some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. and He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He's going to take it, you see. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he'll take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. The Lord will not answer you in that day. He uh, warned the people. They thought they needed a king like everyone else. That was the problem. That was the sin. God ultimately and finally gave them Saul, you remember that, as their first king. We shouldn't be surprised of the corruption that often occurs even in governmental officials. So if you give yourself in total, your focus to acquiring things and, and you're flippant with your words before God, God could take it all away. If you give uh, yourself to the accumulation of things, a corrupt government could come in and take it all away. Or they could mismanagement and inflation happens and the buying power is all gone. And then what is your life? You've given your life to that. It's, it's all gone. That's what Solomon is saying. It's all absolutely gone. He continues and see in the third example in verses 10 to 12, the fruit of your labor may consume you. If you make uh, stuff your focus in life, the fruit, the laboring to get more and more, it just may just consume you 24-7 and thereby keep you from enjoying the life that could be yours. He's saying in 10 through 12, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Never satisfied. This is Hebel. This is meaningless. This is vanity, you're saying. You see, one, the covetous heart, the heart, uh, uh, our hearts that love money will never be satisfied. Never. Uh, Proverbs uh, uh, tells us so well in, in 27, verse 20, death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. Never. That old, debased flesh of ours, never satisfied. It will never find rest because it craves for more and more and more stuff. It's like a fire. Uh, just keeps burning and consuming. We've seen that in recent days, some of the, the terrible fires that will take place with the Santa, Santa, Santa Andrea winds. Is that right? Santa Ana, Ana winds out in California. And it will catch some of that, uh, 
that uh, uh, the dry uh, kindling and then the brush and then the trees, it burns thousands and thousands of acreage and destroys home. It just consumes everything. And that's what he's saying. And that, that's what a covetous heart is to us. It's never satisfied. It just keeps on burning and burning, consuming. He, he goes on to say then that uh, it robs this man or this woman of the pleasure that he or she could have had. He's, he or she is totally consumed. And then he asks in a kind of an ironic tone, what benefit is all this stuff? I mean, really, what is the benefit of it? And then he goes on to say, it is the only passing pleasure is for that one, that covetous one of heart, to simply look at it. There it is. There it is. That's it. That's it. But then on, he or she goes. On your I go because of the, uh, the craving of our heart for more and more and more. And we, it never satisfies, never does it. And the only joy we get is simply to glance at it as we quickly make our way on to get more and more stuff and to pile up more and more. Wow. Not even to enjoy it. The problem is the increase of goods brings with it the increase of worry. Isn't that the way it is? That's what he's saying. Um, uh, verse 12, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. The point is he doesn't have much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Labor may bring sleep. It's good to, be, good to work hard and sleep deeply, isn't it? It's a, it's a sweet gift. I'm glad that God has given the, the gift of sleep. I love to crawl in bed at night and sleep when I'm really weary and tired. Sleep deeply. It's a gift, right? It is. It's God's gift. But the abundance of things, if we are wrongly focused the way we look at stuff, It'll rob us of even the sweet joy of sleep. Why? Because we're worried about it. We're worried about it. Someone's going to steal it. Right? Do I have enough insurance? What's going to happen to it? Maybe the weather will tear the roof off. Maybe this, that. and it, it consumes us and it robs us of the joy and the pleasure and the satisfaction we could have if stuff and the accumulation of it is our goal. Should never be. Should never be. Never be. It robs us of the sweet sleep at night because we worry about it. You see, it complicates our lives. Stuff does. Think about it. When you had nothing, your life was pretty simple, wasn't it? Where's my next meal coming from? Am I living indoors? Now, in time, if you've worked hard, and usually the result of that is the blessing of God, you're paying your bills, God blesses, and you're faithful. You've not been a spendthrift to blow it all away and get yourself in trouble. Though that happens, and we learn those lessons. But in the long haul, God favors that. But if stuff is the focus of our life, never will satisfy. In fact, it complicates your life. you got all these things you got to care for. I often think about that in, in my life. Does the, do I own that car or does it own me? I mean, what's the dog and what's the tail? I often wonder about that. It's wagging me again here. 
needs to be washed. Got to check the oil, the tires. Oh no, the AC doesn't work. You know, like it robs my little bit of time. It's the, it's the way it is, right? It's the way it is. The house, we have a roof leak. The windows need cleaning. The deck needs staining. I'm the hired guy around there. I'm maintenance. That's what I am. I'm the maintenance guy. Who owns who? I'm not sure. The birds, they just kind of watch me sit on the roof. They don't pay the taxes. They don't even pay the mortgage. But they're just, look at that guy. He's busy around here. All the, he, they must hire him. He must work here. No, I own it. They own me or that. It complicates life. You know what I'm saying? Be careful about that. Be careful. So much so that you never enjoy the things that God gives us. And he's glad to do that. We're to love the gift giver, not the gifts. They're his. Now, there's a great book that uh, Steve Large put me on to, John Ortberg. I'm going to pick up a bunch of these and give these out. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. You ever play Monopoly? Yeah, some of you guys like uh, Park Place, don't you? Park Place, that big, that high rent district. Yeah, <laughs> give me those 500s, right? Sweaty Palms, Broadway. Marvin Garden, yeah, forget Marvin Garden. You don't get much rent out of that place, right? Well, this Ortberg writes a great book here about life and stuff. I saw this after, actually, I uh, read, uh, re wrote the sermon here today, and Faithy was captivated reading it, and, and as she's reading out loud, it's just all fit together. I just want to take a little time and read this. The idea is he learned this, he learned that uh, when the game is over, it all goes back into the box. It's not only uh, a statement of, of playing Monopoly, but it's the, it's the thing called life. It all goes back into the, all the stuff, into the box, gone. And shall I say, even your body, into the box, gone. Gone. You see, stuff never satisfied. goes back into the box. And he, he really does a, a, a great job. If you'll allow me to read by way of illustration, uh, I, you'll find it quite fascinating here. Um, remember, he writes in chapter 8, your stuff is, isn't yours. It's only stuff. We all have stuff. We see it, we want it, we buy it, we display it, we insure it, we compare it with other people's stuff. We talk about whether or not they have too much stuff. We envy or pass judgment on other people's collection of stuff. We collect our little pile of stuff. We imagine that if that pile got big enough, we would feel successful or secure with all that stuff. That's how you keep score in Monopoly, and that's how our culture generally keeps score as well. You get a house, and then you have to put stuff in it. You keep putting more stuff in, and you'll need to get a bigger house. A house, said comedian George Carlin, is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. Some people have actually survived without owning one. Jesus, for instance. There are now more than 30,000 self-storage facilities in the country, offering over 1 billion square feet for people to store their stuff. In the 1960s, this industry did not even exist. We now have 12 billion, we now spend $12 billion just a year to pay someone to store our extra stuff. It's larger than the music industry. 
Psychologist uh, Paul Pearsall comments on people finding it difficult to give their stuff away. Many people can't bring themselves to get rid of any of their stuff. You may require uh, a closet exorcist. A trusted friend can help prevent the reshuffling phenomena. Reshuffle happens when in the process of cleaning out our closets and drawers, we are somehow stimulated to acquire new stuff. Beware the stuff, the stuff co-addicts who may see a closet cleaning as a chance to acquire stuff for themselves from their stuff supply. Such friends are likely to go with you on a restuffing expedition. Some people have a gift for acquiring stuff. Not long ago, I read, I took my daughter to a place called the Hearst Castle. William Randolph Hearst was a stuffaholic. He had a 3,500-year-old Egyptian statue, medieval Flemish tapestries, centuries-old hand-carved ceilings, and some of the greatest works of art of all time. Most of it came from Sweden. He built a house of 72,000 square feet just to put all his stuff in. He acquired property for his house, 600 or 265,000 acres. He originally owned 50 miles of the California coastline. He collected stuff for 88 years. Then you know what he did? He died. Now that was short-sighted. Now people go through Hearst's house by the thousands. They all say the same thing. Wow, he sure had a lot of stuff. People go through life. They get stuff. And then they die, leaving all their stuff behind. What happens to it? Well, the kids argue over it. The kids, they haven't died yet, who are really just pre-dead people. They go over to their parents' house. They pick through their parents' old stuff, like vultures, deciding which stuff they want to take to their houses. They say to themselves, now this is my stuff. <laughs> then they die. And some new vultures come in. People come, people go. Nations go to war over stuff. Families are split apart because of stuff. Husbands and wives argue more about stuff than any other single issue. Prisons are full of street thugs and CEOs who committed crimes to acquire stuff. Why, it's only stuff. Houses and hotels are the crowning jewels of Monopoly. But the moment the game ends, they all go back into the box. So it is with all our stuff. Jesus said, do not store yourselves treasure. Store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Moth and rust do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. A little bit more here. Let's say you spend a week at a Motel 6. You ever stay at Motel 6? It's the cheapy hotel. We did that once when we went out to Denver. 18 bucks a night or something. They even throw in a bed. How likely would it be for you to take all your money and spend it on decorating your motel room at the Motel 6? How probable is it that you would clean out your bank account to purchase a, a Van Gogh or paintings of Elvis on velvet or whatever it is that uh, taste that you, you run to? Not very. Not very. You wouldn't even be tempted because the motel room is not home. You're only going to be there a little while. It would be foolish to waste the treasure of your one and only life on a temporary residence. 
Smart players are clear on what are, are clear on what lasts and what doesn't. So Jesus says it is wise to store up treasure in what's eternal. You know what that is? It's God and it's people. That's it. God's word, God, and his people are the only things that last forever. This is Motel 6. Your room, your home, and furniture, and clothes, and possessions will last the equivalent of a few seconds compared to the eternity that will be occupied by your soul. It's not bad to stay in a place and enjoy it while you're here, but Jesus said, don't store up treasure in Motel 6. It's not home. It's not home. You're only going to be here a little while. If you're going to stay up night dreaming and dream about something better than how to upgrade, than how to upgrade your motel room. And on and on and on he goes. And one other thing he said. Stuff cannot make you free. Paul tells us that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Not having stuff can lead you into the trap. Ironically, getting more doesn't lead you to more freedom. Getting can be its own trap. He writes of Randy Alcorn, who notes the comments of some of the wealthiest people of their day. Vanderbilt, remember the great Pennsylvania New York Railroad, or was it New York Railroad? He said this, and quote, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anybody. There's no pleasure in it. J.J. Astor, I think he was the New York City hotel uh, property real estate magnet. He said, I'm the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller, I've made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, the great steel industrialist in Pittsburgh, said, millionaires seldom smile. And Henry Ford, know what he put. I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Wow. What a book that really parallels beautifully. Uh, It all goes back into the box, the words of the Scriptures, where it teaches us that the fruit of your labor may consume you and keep you from enjoying life. There's one last, verses 13 to 17, thing that Solomon is going to tell us, that if stuff is the focus of your life, it will end up greatly disappointing you. He says, indeed, for the labor, the fruit of your labor will be taken from you, whether through unforeseenable things or finally at death. And if you have made stuff your focus in life, you'll end up miserable. That's what he's saying in 13 through 17. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded, the harm of its owner, wealth lost through some misfortune. So then when he has a son, there's nothing left to give. And then he talks in the next verse about death itself. Solomon is teaching us essentially what I've said many times. Someday, everything that you have will be taken from you, or you will be taken from it. That's what he's saying here. Solomon, number one, ends his teaching of this the meaninglessness of toil by showing how transitory wealth and its fruits really are. They're here for a moment and they're gone. They're lost in a bad venture, a bad investment, or a bad bank, or a a bad whatever, and uh, it's gone. It, It may not be your fault whatsoever. 
it sounded like a good deal. It had all sorts of validation and, and testimonials that it was a good investment. And you've given your whole life to that. And here's your pile of stuff, your bank account, your wealth, and you invest, and the winds of reality blow in a fallen world, and it's gone. It's gone. It's like one uh, financial counselor once said to me, it's, it's not uh, making money that's the problem, it's keeping it. People make all sorts of money in their life, but it goes right through our hands. It's the keeping of it that's a challenge. And here this man gave his whole life hoarding and desiring to build a bigger and bigger pile, but uh, uh, the bad investment, and he lost it all, and now he's nearing death, and he has nothing to give even to his son, to his children because of it. Uh, what uh, really was his life then? He traded his life for that which amounted to, to nothing. It's gone. It's absolutely and totally gone. It's like the sand castles at the beach. We work on them, we build them, we give our time and our toil, and they're beautiful. We play with our grandkids, and, and at the end of the day, and the tide comes in, and the tide goes out, and there's not even a, a marking that we even were there and spent three hours in the blazing sun building the castle for our granddaughter. Gone, gone, gone. And to give your life and focus and totality to acquiring more and more stuff, it will never satisfy. Never, ever. And finally, if that weren't enough, number two, Solomon argues further that even if wealth is not lost, if somehow it could be capped through life, it will finally be all stripped away at death. Or you came with nothing, and you will leave with absolutely nothing. In fact, if I can trust the words of a, of a, of a, a mortician who lived near me at one point in my life, oftentimes we don't even put shoes on people. They won't need them. How about that? Nothing in your hand. You won't take anything. And that's, uh, if you give your life to the accumulation of stuff, what does it profit, is what Solomon is saying. Verse 16, as a man comes, so he departs, and what does it gain? What is the sum total of the gain of his life, if that's what he gave his heart and his soul for, for stuff? And as the wind blows, and now he's gone, or she's gone. It's no wonder it all leads to Lack of pleasure and lack of satisfaction in 17. The picture of eating in darkness. It's miserable. It's frustrating. It's filled with, uh, with uh, even anger. Vexation of spirit. Disappointment. Gloom is the idea. Wow. That's what Solomon is telling us. Beware of that. For someday, everything that you have will be taken from you, maybe through a misfortune, or you through death will be taken from everything you have. Job said it, naked I came and naked I go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I saw that even in the life of my own father. I wasn't there 
to actually see it in person. But uh, my father uh, worked many, many hours and gave himself to the support of his family, to all of that. He was a man who was unsaved to just before the end of his life. He suffered at a young age a massive heart attack, and he died in his bedroom. And as my brother told me, he said, Terry, they carried that right down the winding staircase out the front door, never to return again. He left it all behind, all of it, all of it. And that will be true with every one of us unless the Lord should come. And he's telling us here that that is not a fit purpose for you and I to live in the gathering of more and more and more stuff. Well, what's the answer? He closes with this second lesson, and it's that second great refrain, and don't we love this? Verse 18 to 20, God alone gives the gift of being able to enjoy life, satisfies the heart and the blessings that he gives. That's what he's saying. Then I realized, verse 18, it's good and proper for a man, for a woman to eat and drink and to find satisfaction from his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given us, for that's his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, and more than that, and enables him or her to enjoy them, to accept his lot, be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. Seldom reflecting on the days of life because God keeps us occupied with gladness of heart. Well, he's saying, hey, Solomon recommends the enjoyment of life. Don't miss it. Don't be in a rat race trying to accumulate bigger and bigger piles and more and more places to store it. That you miss the essence of life. That's not life. It all goes back into the box. That's not it. Give yourself to loving God and serving Him with all that you are. As God blesses you and prospers you and increases your wealth, give it back to the Lord. Give your tithes and some. Look around for people that need help. Help them. Don't be a hoarder, stingy. Give it. If God has given it and he's brought your past, be, be, be generous like that. And then relax and enjoy what God has given and thank him for it. And be a blessing, realizing that... Um, Death is the great equalizer. There are no bank accounts, saving accounts, stock portfolios, no real estate investments that we'll carry with us under our arms as we go to heaven. None of it. Realize, that's a wise woman, that's a wise man that realizes our condition and lives in light of it. That's what he's calling us to here. It is God who has given us the days of our brief lives, and aren't they brief? And the ability to enjoy each one of them. It's a gift. Don't you love gifts? We love gifts, don't we? Birthday, oh man, I can't wait. Christmas, don't we love that? The giving of gifts and the exchanging and the showing of love. and We love that. It's salvation is God's gift. Life is God's gift. God gives here the gift to enjoy life. Get off the, the, the rat race, the treadmill, to get more and more. and Realize the vanity of that. And this comes from the wealthiest man of his day. He said, That's, that was worthless. Learn from that. 
Enjoy today forward every day that God should give you. It's God's gift. And B, learn to find pleasure in your work. Accept your lot. That's, that's your condition. That's your inheritance. And be happy in your God. This is really living. It's living, I say to you. And if you do that, God will flood your heart with happiness of heart. And you'll hardly notice the passing of days. I often think of Faithy's mother that way. Gladys was that way. She was a happy woman. Just happy, simply trusting, you know, and living with Pop. They were swinging back and forth from time to time, right, babe? And she was just happy, trusting in the Lord, and God will take care of her. We saw it especially in her days of widowhood. Just trusting in the Lord, filled with joy, and hardly noticing the days as they pass by and then finally went home to be with her Lord. I often think of her when I read of this passage and say, Lord, may we be like that, that God would just so flood our heart with joy. I felt that when I sat there uh, the other night listening to R.C. Sproul and his preaching on the glory of the atonement, the necessary, but I felt, I felt raptured right to heaven. Just, Lord, I just, I'm just so filled with joy and happiness and contentness and pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I see things more clearly now than I ever have. Why am I so late to come around? Thank you for your patience, you know. I just felt so faithful. I looked at me and said, are you all right? I just, just felt so enraptured, you know. i just going to burst. You ever feel that way? I hope you do. I do. That's, the, that's, what, that's what he's talking about here. I don't know what may come tomorrow, but God will lead us and care for us. And it's not piling up bigger and bigger piles of junk that's going to end up in the dump. Please, see through that. You better be uh, careful on that. You're going to get sucked in. But first, I'm reminded of foremost, you must have a relationship with the Lord. You may be here and, and don't know Christ. He is all important. He bore the wrath of God for your sin on Calvary's cross. You must be saved. You must. I'm not saying, are you a church member? Have you been baptized? Are you faithful? In that? Do you know Christ the Lord as your Savior? You must. It's the only way that you can fear God and trust Him and love Him is to receive Christ as your Savior. Life, God says, is to know me. It is the abundant life from John 10.10. 10. Oh, you must. Well, what are some lessons for our life? Number one. Number one. Fear God and guard your mouth. Fear Him. Reverence Him is the idea. For He could discipline you and take it all away. Live in the fear of the Lord. Reverence Him. Be careful with your mouths and what you promise and vow. Don't vow. Don't promise. I, I grow weary when I hear people say, uh, uh, swear to God, swear to God, swear to God. Oh, it, it pierces my heart. I wish people wouldn't say that. It's like they're calling, like they need some sort of extra affirmation that they're telling the truth. And say, on my mother's grave. I'd rather hear that. I don't want to hear any of it, really. Just let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. But don't swear to God. You could be lying through your teeth and, you're, and God says, what's that? And then, you know, remember Ananias and Sapphira. Be careful about that. God could take it all away. Read Deuteronomy 28 this week. Number two, 
Beware, not only will wealth and possession elude you in eternity, but can also rob you of joy today. I found that uh, joy and pleasure often are found in very simple things. And we often miss them. We do. Eating, drinking, right? Are you looking forward to doing that today? Four of us. Amen? Eat and drink heartily. Enjoy that. Right? That's the simple pleasures. You know, Americans, we eat on the run. What do we eat? I don't know. I scarf down something. You know, and sit and relax and thank God and enjoy it and enjoy the fellowship around there. That's the caveat. It is. We're running, 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 running. What? What's the matter of those crazy people? They're running, going somewhere. They're on the treadmill. It's a lack of peace and contentment. Simple things. Simple things, I say to you. Number three, stuffed wealth should never be the goal of your life. But use it. Use it to do good and bring enjoyment. Use the stuff, not to accumulate, not to hoard it. Use it for God's glory. Use it. And you'll be happy. You do this kind of thing, you won't be. But you give it away, you will be happy. God has promised to bless, to increase, as you and I are faithful, and he will. Be faithful in your stewardship. Be faithful and generous to those that have needs at home and far away. And use whatever God gives, use it wisely. Don't be surprised. It may, go, it may disappear, some of it, through governmental injustice. Be careful of the temptation. If you're always working at it, you don't enjoy the blessing that God gives. And ultimately and finally, you'll leave it all away. So don't make that the goal of your life. Don't. But learn to enjoy. Lord, help me to enjoy what you have provided. You're so good. I found him to be so good and so kind. I love him for it. And number four, know, a wise, know that a wise person is just too busy today to worry about every detail about tomorrow. Enjoy life. You know, we can give ourselves worrying about Tuesday. Oh, I got this. Thursday, I got that, you know. And then when, you're, when you get a certain age, they're all doctor appointments. I've noticed that. Well, yeah, Faithy's mom and dad. Well, Tuesday we go to this specialist. Wednesday it's this one. Friday, yeah, Todd, it's the eye doctor. And then we go to the cardiologist. I mean, that, they built their whole daytime around their doctor visits, you know. And some people really worry about not only that kind of thing, but other things. Don't worry about it. Be content. Lord, help me to be content with today. Right now, that's a wise man. That's a wise woman. Enjoy, enjoy the day. Number five and last, stuff never satisfies the heart. Learn that lesson. Never, never. Only Jesus does. You must know him and fear him. You must live for him. Oh, praise the Lord.